You are listening to A Scary State, and this week we're covering Delaware. So, Nora. Yes, Lauren. Let's get scary. All right. So, we are in a weird setup today. Um, I am moving in like four days, and so we have all of our decorations from the walls on our table that we usually record on. So now Nora and I are in my living room with our coffee table and the little chairs that come with it. Kind of, we made a little fort for ourselves, barricaded us back here so our mics would be in the right spot. I don't even know. For you guys, anything. Anything. And yes, that is hitting on you. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Can you go away, Joseph? (laughs) Lauren's boyfriend just came out. Fiance. got jealous. Oh, sorry. Fiance. Oh my God. I know, two months. That's crazy. I know. So we have a move and we have a wedding and Joe is in the hospital. He's okay. Um, It's just been a really, really hectic couple weeks. Yeah. And Ian and I, um, so we bought our house and we've been having work done on it and then we're about to move into it. So it's been absolute madness. Like we can't even record at my house. So yeah, that's where we're at. Yeah. So (laughs) So now that we're done bitching. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) All right, so Delaware. So Delaware, nicknamed the first state, joined the Union on December 7th, 1787, and obviously became the first state in the U.S. And they're really proud of this fact and even have first state written on their license plates. Yeah, they're really proud of the one thing they have of being the first state. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Delaware got its name from the Delaware River and Bay, which was originally named to honor Sir Thomas West, who was the first governor of Jamestown. Some weird laws in Delaware. It is illegal to change your bathing suit in a car or a public restroom. Honestly, that makes sense because there's so many beaches there. But then where would people change if they can't change there? That's like asking for people to break the law. And like not even changing in a bathroom. Like I feel like that's the decent place to do it. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, So if you're on the Rehoboth Beach Boardwalk, it's illegal to pretend to sleep on a bench. I'm actually going to Rehoboth Beach soon. Really? Yeah, I'm so excited. That is exciting. So excited. Ugh. I, I, yeah, I grew up going there, so I feel like this is kind of nostalgic for me. Oh. So also in Rehoboth Beach, it's illegal to whisper in church, but also illegal to whisper within 300 feet of a church. Between the hours of midnight and 6 a.m., you are not allowed to eat or drink in your car. What if you're on a long road trip like we are going to be doing? What if you're just hungry like during a break at lunch? Or like if you work night shifts? I was going to say, I'm like, wait, lunch? Nora? Like in the middle of the night. So Delaware is home of Superman. Oh. Paul Kupperberg, the DC Comics editor, suggested that Metropolis is located in Delaware. The Delaware first state license plate was seen in the 2006 film Superman Returns. Okay, that's pretty cool. That is really cool, actually. A woman named, hold on, Frederica, is that how you say it? My mind just went in a million directions. A woman named Frederica was 42 when she decided to end her life. She hung herself from a tree in her front yard. The only thing, it was just a couple of days before Halloween, so everyone who saw her thought this was just a decoration. Oh, what? no. But someone did notice, and police came to deal with the situation only a few hours later. Dang. Delaware Bay is the largest breeding area for horseshoe crabs. Have you seen a horseshoe crab, Nora? So many times, honestly. Okay, if you haven't seen a horseshoe crab, anyone, 
look them up. They look like mini aliens that have come to this planet and they're kind of terrifying. Oh yeah, and Delaware is tax-free. Oh yeah. Love that about Delaware. <laughs> I Years love that for them. <laughs> yeah, good for them. Years ago, a tractor trailer carrying bees overturned near Newark. Guess how many bees came out of the trailer? How many bees? 16 million. <laughs> my gosh there is a shortage of like there's an issue with bees though there so is. i kind yeah. of good for them like let them live their lives i once was babysitting and i was walking out in their backyard and i had flip-flops on or like sandals and a bee got under my sandal like in between my sandal and my foot and snug me and that was the first time i've ever been stung by a bee so the little boy i was babysitting was like are you allergic and i was like i don't know he's like well i guess we're gonna find out <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh my you're God. driving me to the hospital robert <laughs> Right? Like little seven-year-old <laughs> yeah. child. Thankfully, I'm not allergic to bees. Wow. But oh, it was scary and it hurt so bad. But like, you know, Goodness. I was fine. But oh my God, the whole like next like hour and a half, I was like, I'm just going to stop being able to breathe. Like this is going to be terrifying. Yeah. You know what I just thought of? That made me think of like going to the beach and getting stung by jellyfish. Have you? Well, I have at Virginia Beach. I've never been stung at the Delaware beaches. Oh my gosh. So, Did and Virginia has a lot of them during certain times. It, it hurt very bad. What'd you do? Did you have to pee on it? I peed on myself. Did I'm you just really? kidding. No, <laughs> oh. I just dealt with it. And then I was like scared to go in the water. But I, it, it's only happened a few times that I went to the beach, like that I've seen them. Yeah, so I've yeah. seen him like come in on waves before. Yeah, ugh. As long as it's not a shark. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lauren, what are you telling us about Delaware today? Today, I'm going to talk about Fort Delaware. So, it's known as one of the most haunted places in the country, as it seems every place in the world is. Um, but Fort Delaware was built just after the War of 1812 on Pea Patch Island, which is right in the middle of the Delaware River. So construction officially began in 1817, and after many modifications, the fort we know today was constructed between 1848 and 1860, but most sources say that it was completed in 1859. The new construction came about after the original wooden fort burned down. So in 1866, 150 large guns were mounted around the fort for defense. After that, during the Spanish-American War in 1898, the fort was used to store guns and protect the ports of Philadelphia and Wilmington, as it would soon become part of the coastal defense network for World War I and II. The fort was constructed in a pentagonal shape and even had a dungeon. Wow. So if you look at an aerial view of it, it legit looks like a mini pentagon, and it's like, kind of cute. So the fort was used primarily as a prison, mainly for Confederate prisoners of war, but also held pirates, privateers, political prisoners, and deserters. So during the time that the fort acted as a prison, it had a very notorious reputation. So a little background. The fort was originally commanded by General Albin F. Schoepf, more commonly known by Confederate soldiers as General Terror. Soldiers who were captured were held in wooden barracks located on the six-acre complex of Fort Delaware, which was considered to be a huge improvement to what had happened to those soldiers who had been caught during the Civil War years earlier. But those good conditions changed in July of 1863 when thousands and thousands of soldiers were captured at Gettysburg and brought to Fort Delaware. Over 13,000 prisoners were taken to Fort Delaware and held there, which was well over triple the capacity. Wow. So the fort wasn't prepared to hold this many prisoners, obviously, and conditions quickly deteriorated. Food became scarce. Food rations weren't only incredibly small, but also barely edible. Sergeants would torture the prisoners further by throwing rats into the crowds of inmates and watching them scramble and fight for a warm meal, all the while laughing as they watched. They would call this rat call. Oh my gosh. It's disgusting. 
Why so, does this kind of thing always happen in war? Like, it's so, it's it's, so sad. This was also, I'll get to it, but this was before, like, the Geneva Convention. Mm. Um, so one prisoner, Captain John S. Swan, said this about his experience. Quote, We formed in line and marched to the mess hall. Each prisoner took one ration. The bread was made of rye and wheat flour, well cooked, but the piece very small, about half enough for a well man. The meat, a small chunk of beef, mostly bone. It was cut up very carelessly and very small, not half a ration. Some days, the bread was substituted with crackers, and those were hard days on us. Water was also what they considered putrefied, which pretty much means that it was bad, and drinking it could make you very, very sick. So a few notable names had stays here as well, like Burton H. Harrison, who was Jefferson Davis's personal secretary, and James F. Archer, a well-known Confederate general. Neither of those names were notable to me, but I am sure some of our history buffs will be like, yeah, I know that. (laughs) So, conditions for the prisoners of war during this time were absolutely horrendous. Now there are rules for how a prisoner of war is supposed to be treated with the Geneva Convention, and those rules need to be followed. Things such as no torture of any kind, minimum conditions must be met, which includes accommodations, food, clothing, hygiene, medical care. Um, But at the time that the fort operated as a jail, these rules and standards did not exist. Death and disease were also very common at this fort. Smallpox and measles spread like crazy, and due to poor nutrition and the lack of water, prisoners experienced scurvy, dysentery, and diarrhea. So scurvy is caused by a lack of vitamin C and can lead to a myriad of health issues. Mm -hmm. And whenever I think of scurvy, I think of, like, pirates. Mm -hmm. Um, Dysentery is inflammation of the intestines, which leads to bad stuff. That can be, I think, from the water. Because my dog, she would drink puddle water when we weren't looking, like a crazy – when she was a puppy – and um, there's, like, parasites in water, yep. in, like, water that's not clean. Yeah. Stuff, so. Whenever I say dysentery, I'll, I always think dysentery. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Poor Terry. <laughs> and then lice were also very prevalent. So dozens were dying every day. Thousands were ill. It was so bad that in January of 18... 18- Madison <laughs> uh, last night. Oh, my God. Don't be mean. He's ill. <laughs> Sorry. We were talking about a boy that, that was, was in so one of our past... Funny. Oh my and, god. And she said, You guys, he's ill. And we were like, What are you talking like, about? No, he's not. Yeah. <laughs> and, okay, so. Sorry. Thousands were ill. Yeah. It was so bad that in July of 1863, Dr. S. Wire Mitchell observed, quote, the living having more life on them than in them. So I assume this means like filth from themselves and others and the lice, which is really, <sighs> really horrible. So out of the 33,000 prisoners who were held at the fort, over 2,700 died from dysentery, scurvy, smallpox, malnutrition, the list goes on. I feel itchy right now. I know. Many prisoners tried to escape. I can't say I blame them. Over 300 prisoners attempted to escape the fort, but most were never seen or heard from again. Some would dress up as Union soldiers and try to sneak out. I don't know how they got the uniforms, but I'm sure that's an interesting story. Yeah. Others would make boats and try to float away. Their boats were made of any materials they had been able to collect. It is reported that one even snuck onto a coal boat as it was leaving the island. So a famous report is of one person who saw a coffin on the island and knew it would soon be returned to the mainland. So the man removed the body from the coffin <gasps> and got in. But I think you can suffocate and die in coffins. Yeah, because it's com- isn't it completely sealed? Yeah, but I, I don't know. Cannot maybe they were moisture. In maybe they were built different then. But so the coffin arrived in New Jersey at Fort Mott. This is where the dead from the fort were like normally buried. Mm-hmm. Once the coffin reached New Jersey, the man jumped out of the coffin and took off. Wow, I know. Another famous story is about a prisoner originally from Florida. Florida man. (laughs) This man claimed that he had never seen snow or ice before. 
So he was able to convince the Union guards to let him and his fellow inmates skate on the frozen river, or at least attempt to skate. Mm -hmm. The guards were laughing at this poor Floridian man as he was unable to stand upright. He kept fumbling and sliding further and further down the river, which was further and further from the fort. Wow. Once he knew he was out of gunshot range, the man set off down the river like a professional skater and was never seen again. I have to hand it to him. That was genius. That's so fight or flight. Okay, you know he skated before. Yeah. So just pretending he couldn't just slide his way away from the fort like genius that's so smart so back to new jersey real quick this ended up becoming a mass grave for all those who died within the walls of the fort at fort mott um that area soon became finn's point national cemetery in 1910 an 85 foot tall obelisk was constructed to mark this mass grave it joined a smaller temple-like monument that had been constructed to acknowledge the 135 union guards who had died on the island Next to the obelisk on the other side are 13 graves that mark the 13 German prisoner of wars, prisoners of war who died during World War II at Fort Dix in New Jersey. So let me tell you a real quick story about an obelisk. One day, senior year, I skipped school to go to D.C. and do touristy things. No. <laughs> yeah. So scandalous. <laughs> so I was with a couple people. And we asked this, this one guy was walking. And we were like, oh, how do we get to the monument from here? And he goes, you mean the obelisk? What? I was like, excuse me? Like, it's known as the monument. It's not known as the obelisk. Yeah. So and I've lived here my whole life. So. Right? Thank you. So I, I don't even remember if we found or not, but I was very annoyed. <laughs> so the fort was ultimately abandoned by the U.S. government in 1947, which is when it was turned into the Fort Delaware State Park by the state of Delaware. And if you live in Delaware, you have probably visited Fort Delaware on a field trip at one point. Usually these tours downplay the horrors that existed and the conditions that were present at the fort. So as you can imagine, with all the death and horribleness that happened here, many of those who died within the walls of this fort never left. The fort has reported hauntings of ghosts, spirits, and poltergeists. So now I'm going to go into all the ghosts that this place sees. And there's a lot of them. Jeez. So there's a spirit of an old female cook known as the kitchen ghost who used to work at Fort Delaware. She's still seen walking around the kitchen, checking equipment, cooking, and continuing to prepare meals. Footsteps are also heard, as well as the clanging of cooking utensils. The spirit moves and hides spices, says people's names, and has even told people to get out. <gasps> I was going to say, can she come to my house and cook meals? But right. it sounds like she's messing with them, so no thanks. <laughs> there is only one report of someone actually seeing the spirit as a full-blown apparition, which is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Others have seen a kind female spirit known as the second cook, who spends her time in the old officer's kitchen. She has seen threading needles and stringing together loose buttons. She has also been reported as tapping on people's shoulders and even taking them by the hand and leading them to different rooms. Ugh. Yeah. And a lot of spirits are stuck down in the dungeons. People have heard moaning and clanging chains, probably from the ghosts of the soldiers who were trapped and held down there. Apparitions of soldiers have been seen down there, as well as shadows moving down the tunnel and out doorways. People have been poked and pulled at by unseen forces in the dungeon, and it's possibly the spirit's way of letting people know that they're still down there, they're still trapped, they still exist. Ugh. So, uh, Confederate General James J. Archer has also been seen around. His story. So, he made a promise to General Terror that he wouldn't try to escape, which led Archer to having pretty much free reign of the fort. <laughs> well, Archer went back on his word and indeed tried to escape. No way. <laughs> but he didn't make it. Oh, no. So, the mad General Terror then sentenced Archer to solitary confinement in a windowless powder magazine. While basically conditions were horrible, not surprisingly, he fell extremely ill. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming died re like shortly after that. Visitors and even employees have reported seeing a bearded man in a gray uniform near the area that Archer was held in. 
A nine-year-old drummer boy is also seen. He also tried to escape in a coffin. So there are like a lot of coffin escape stories. Wow. But he ended up being buried alive. Oh. Uh-huh. Oh. And so I guess this coffin didn't travel to New Jersey like previous ones had, but that's one of my biggest fears. Oh, same. Oh, mm-mm. Especially because, like, for me, like, since I have asthma, sometimes it's hard to breathe. So then, like, that fear, I think of that, you know? <laughs> oh, no. Like, ugh. I hate it. Yeah. Um, there's another young spirit who is said to roam the second floor. He tugs at people's clothing, and visitors have reported hearing his laughter up and down the halls. So there are also residual hauntings that are seen. So under the ramparts and around the parade ground, people have seen Confederate soldiers fleeing the area. Cannons and guns being fired is also commonly heard. The pirates who were held here also make themselves known. A park ranger once reported that he saw a pirate dressed in a green silk shirt and white silk pants looking out of one of the windows of the fort, probably dreaming about freedom. Wow. Never being able to escape. Mm. Confederate soldiers are seen in their old barracks as well as around the land where the barracks stood. Private Stefano, as he is believed to be called, was an Italian immigrant who fought in the Union Army. He is known to haunt a flight of stairs near the main entrance of the building. So it is well known that you can provoke him in order for him to make his presence known, which is kind of mean. Yeah. Like, let the man rest. Yeah, seriously. You deserve to be haunted if you're provoking seriously. someone. Or so, a ghost. Yeah, so it's believed that his death was caused due to falling down the stairs and dying immediately upon hitting the bottom. He cracked his skull in the process. <gasps> If you want to get his attention, you should say his name or tell a story. That will prompt a thudding noise coming from the stairs as if he's been falling down them over and over again. Ooh. I know. Say my name, say my name. <laughs> others, others have just seen his apparition standing at the bottom of the stairs only to slowly fade away. Another seems to be a residual haunting of a spirit who has, whose identity is unknown. She is believed to be a cleaner, though, as that is how she is dressed. And is, she's always doing the same repetitive pattern. She's seen cleaning the area where a fire mantle used to be located. That area is now a bricked up door. So she'll like clean this bricked up door and then just disappears. Wow. Um, while walking around, moans have been heard. A cup being bashed against prison bars have also, has also been heard. Others have heard whispers in their ears, have seen full-bodied apparitions, and heard footsteps all around the halls. People have had their clothing tugged while on the staircases. Staff has reported something in the stairwell, which caused the birds to freak out once and fly mm. down rapidly, <gasps> causing some employees to lose their balance and almost fall down the stairs. Ah. Books have fallen off bookshelves. Crystals sway in areas where there's no wind. Lights have been seen on in the fort when no one's there. There are a ton of photos with orbs in them. Disembodied voices are heard. A harmonica being played has been reported. Like, there's just a ton Ooh. of stuff going on at Fort Delaware. Oh, my gosh. So a woman named Gina O'Neill, who was part of the Delaware Ghost Hunters group, had an interview with Delaware Today and talked about some experiences she had at Fort Delaware. She says she hasn't seen a ghost yet, but she told Delaware Today that she heard footsteps behind her, but not normal footsteps. She said it sounded like a slow shuffle. She then heard her name being called, but it's a nickname that only her husband calls her by, and she heard it whispered in her ear. Oh. Roy boy, stop. <laughs> Roy's whispering in my ear right now <laughs> with his tongue. He likes our new setup because now he can get on the couch and be right behind us. Mm. All right, so, so some cool things about this fort. The fort offers a five-hour-long paranormal investigation tour. Nora. Ooh. This tour begins at 9.30 p.m., so you get to explore in the dark. 9.30 p.m. is my bedtime. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I feel like this, this place would for sure be haunted. Oh, yeah. Like, so many things. Yeah. I'm, so yeah. on this tour, you get to see most of the fort, and you even get a ghost hunt while you're there. You can even bring your own equipment. 
you'll get to investigate the barracks, mess hall, officer's kitchen, officer's quarters, ordinance room area, the prisoner's barracks, and the west end of Endicott section. You get split into small groups of seven and get to investigate with a DSGI, which is the Diamond State Ghost Investigator's Investigator. So yeah. the investigator will have with them EMFs, data recorders, and temperature sensors. People who have gone on this tour have reported feeling the presence of many spirits around them. They have been poked. Their necklaces have disappeared. People have heard cannonball fire and spirits make noises from the depths to let the investigators know that they're present. I would be really pissed if my necklace disappeared while yeah, I was on a tour. I would not be happy. I wonder if it's just like you're walking and then all of a sudden your necklace is gone. Or do you feel it being tugged off of you? Ew. I mean, either way, I wouldn't either be of happy. Either those are horrible. But yeah. Um, you can also take the shorter three-hour paranormal investigation, which includes fairy time. <laughs> in this investigation, you don't explore all of the areas that the longer tour does. You're still you're in larger groups, but you still investigate with a DSGI investigator who will still use ghost hunting equipment. And skeptics, fear not. There's also a tour for you as well. This tour is known as the Paranormal Investigation 101 tour. Mm. So in this one, you'll get a basic rundown of tools used when conducting an investigation, the techniques used, and proper etiquette. So this is all gone over by an investigator. You'll also learn the difference between a residual haunt. So this is where the spirit goes about their day-to-day routines, like mm-hmm. from before they died. And then an intelligent haunt, which is a ghost who can actually communicate with you in real time. Like, mm-hmm. knock once for yes, <laughs> twice for no kind of thing. Yeah. The investigators will also help you look at evidence from a skeptic's view, learn some debunking techniques, and explain a lot of the minute details with EMFs, EVPs, and orbs. Okay, I feel like I would like that one. I feel like I would too. Like, that that's is so really int- cool. Yeah, that's really cool. Because then it, like, gives meaning to what you're looking at, you know? And this one even ends it with an hour-long investigation. Wow. And I even put in my notes, this one actually sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. So the standard investigation tour is only about $50, which I don't think is too bad for all that it seems to include. Mm -hmm. The extended tour is about $110. Again, really not bad for all you get to do. Of course, Ghost Hunters filmed an episode here. It was actually their season three finale. The crew heard what sounded like cannons being fired. And on their thermal imaging camera, they caught what looked like a man peeking around the corner of one of the rooms. One investigator was tugged, and the sound of rattling chains was heard throughout the episode. The fort also offers you the opportunity to be immersed back in the times when the fort was running. So inside the fort, it's kind of like a small town. Mm-hmm. So reenactors will dress up as Civil War soldiers. Others are dressed as workers going about their day-to-day routines and day-to-day duties. And as a visitor, you can watch a blacksmith do his thing, help a laundress, and even fire an 8-inch gun. Wow. Also every May, this fort hosts its Escape from Fort Delaware triathlon. Participants in this triathlon run the same path that 52 Civil War prisoners took when they managed to break out and swim across the river. Oh my gosh. Which sounds, I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So my mom and I, when we go to the beach, we like to find haunted places <laughs> if it rains. So I'm going to be like, you know where we need to go. For real. But yeah, so that's, that's the so haunted Fort Delaware. Oh my gosh, I really liked that story. I did too, and I had like a hard time finding something in Delaware at first, and then I was like, all right, I'll just do this one. And then there was so much, I was like, okay, this is actually pretty cool. Yeah, because you texted me and you were like, I don't know if I'm gonna find something like really good for Delaware. That blew it out of the water. Yeah, that, that one was, was really pretty good. good. Hey everyone, have you ever had the idea to start your own podcast but had no idea where to start? We had no idea either until we found Buzzsprout. It is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Buzzsprout has made our experience with podcasting both fun and stress-free by listing our show on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, just to name a few. 
You'll get a great-looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how and where people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and much more. Following the link in the show notes, let's Buzzsprout know we sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and help support our show. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout. And remember to stay scary. Stay safe. All right. What are you telling us? Okay. So, and I was telling Lauren this, we were texting about Delaware and um, I told her that I found a case that I thought was like, so (laughs) I don't want to say funny because I don't want to disrespect the ghost in it, but it's just so interesting. Yeah. It's a little short like story and then I'll get into my longer story. But this case or this story is about Mr. Chu. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yep. So if you want to sneeze after that name, do not do it. Samuel Chu was a normal guy with a normal job, but with a weird name. He was the chief justice in Delaware in the 1700s. He was tormented on the daily for his name. As he walked, some people would even mimic a sneeze or pretend to chew on something. People are horrible. I know. And I've gotten made fun of for my last name. Oh, Um, yeah. So yeah. I get it. <laughs> One time, do you remember when we went to that cabin and yes. you were like, my last name sounds like a frog. So we made you just <laughs> your last they name made like me. a frog. <laughs> I mean, with you guys are the only ones allowed to do it. But if it's like someone I don't know, I'm like, oh, um, wait, yeah, you beg my pardon. <laughs> I love when you say that. <laughs> so apparently people in the 1700s were savages and they would later learn to regret making fun of Mr. Chu's name because shortly after he died, he started haunting the place. Darmer David Hendricks was the first to see the apparition of Mr. Chu. He alerted his wife and children, and eventually the news spread all around Dover, Delaware, and, met, and more sightings of Mr. Chu were reported. In these apparent sightings, Mr. Chu would dress in a judge's robe and a white powdered wig. It was reported that the ghost would pull on guys' tailcoats and send shivers up women's spines. Oh. He was relentless in his hauntings and targeted anyone who dared to come near him. Over time, people were so afraid of Mr. Chu that they closed up their shops and stayed indoors. Reminds me of COVID. Yeah. Children were not allowed to play outside anymore. No one socialized after dark. It was more so the fear people had of Mr. Chu's spirit messing with them that scared people than anything because apparently, like, he wasn't a mean... He wasn't really a mean ghost. He would just, like, pull on their arm or something like that just to like get revenge so a ghost is able to keep the people inside better than a virus is able to keep i know what the heck so things got so bad for the people of dover that a town meeting was held on how to deal with the ghost they decided that the way to get rid of mr chu was to hold a funeral so the people of dover held a funeral for the ghost slash spirit slash like haunted being of this person and the citizens of Dover buried an empty casket under the tree where he was sighted the most. Dang. Yeah. They were like, please, Lord, get this man to stop haunting us. Occasionally, Mr. Chu haunts any person who makes fun of his name. But overall, Mr. Chu's spirit will leave people alone. And he hasn't really bothered people often lately. Oh, but he hasn't been, like, fully put to rest. Well, now now that he has, because he got, like, the closure and the respect that he felt like he deserved, yeah. he's, like, started leaving people alone. Okay. So, I mean, it has a good ending, but just don't make fun of people's last names, and it won't be a problem. <laughs> Laura. 
wow yeah that i saw him when i was looking up delaware and i was like oh my gosh they have a cryptid and then yeah. their cryptid is like a ghost of a person which yeah, i thought was pretty cool i know and it's like such an old story from yeah. the 1700s yeah crazy. which is really cool yeah okay so now my long story is about the henlopen lighthouse so they keep – sorry, I can't look at you. That's okay. <laughs> at the angle I'm sitting, I feel bad because, like, I have to turn my whole head to look at I'll just at stare at you really creepy, like, while you, while you tell your story. <laughs> the Cape Henlopen Lighthouse was among the first lighthouses ever built in the American colonies. Cape Henlopen Light illuminated the waters below and shined from the coast between Lewis and Rehoboth Beach for 161 years. So, Dang. Yeah, a long time, from 1764 to 1925. And I wrote in here, like, fun fact, I grew up going to those beaches. So, yeah. There's that. <laughs> I know. It is really nostalgic. <laughs> so the Henlopen Light was built because Philadelphia businessmen were tired of losing valuable cargo aboard ships that sank on dangerous shores while entering the Delaware Bay. Ew. Yeah. Isn't that scary? <laughs> yes. One commenter from those, those colonial times put it this way, quote, the wrecks which lie plentifully scattered over the beach afford a melancholy proof of the necessity of a lighthouse to the approaching navigator. End quote. How poetic. How poetic. poetic to say we need a lighthouse. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. To pay construction costs, those Philadelphian businessmen launched a lottery and sold thousands of tickets. A couple of landowners from up that way granted a 200-acre site to the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, which in the colonial times included Delaware. I did read that, and I thought that was so weird. I know. To put into perspective the legacy of this lighthouse, think of it as like a motherly figure. That's literally how people saw it. And it watched over Delaware and its bay through all of the ups and downs. Get it? Because waves in the water. Ups and downs. <laughs> over many decades. Even as British <laughs> ships prowled the Atlantic coast and the Delaware Bay... Delaware Bay during the American Revolution, the Henlopen Lighthouse kept shining as Delaware emerged from Pennsylvania's shadow and became the first state to ratify the Constitution. Yeah. Yeah. Its light went dark for a bit when British ships returned and bombed Lewis during the War of 1812. Fun fact, the War of 1812 was in 1812. Wow. <laughs> my Blowing dad used to tell us that joke all the time and we would get so annoyed. <laughs> But it was shining again soon enough, watching over schooners, steamboats, skipjacks, and motorboats. The lighthouse stood seven stories tall, and it was a granite octagon which rose from a scrub pine forest on high land about a mile from the coast. And to this day, many locals love and adore this lighthouse, not only because of its impressive history, but because people back in time, in that time that the lighthouse was first built, predicted it would stand until the end of the world. Dang. They also said that about the Titanic. That it would never sing. That it would never sing. Yeah. Eek. I would love to go to a lighthouse, though. I think that would be so cool. They're so peaceful. Can you imagine being in one during, like, a really, really bad storm? <sighs> I think I think that would be awesome. I would be kind of petrified because it's so high up, but also it would be, like, a view that would be, like, insane. And I love – so I hate when it rains at the beach because that's the worst thing ever. Mm -hmm. But when it's nighttime and you're looking out at the beach and there's a thunderstorm, oh, that's my favorite. Yeah. Yeah, the one good thing about, like, beach storms is that it gets so hot once the storm is over that you're fine to go back, like, either later yeah. that day or the next morning. So oh, that's the only good thing. You want to hear something cool? Do you know when the safest time to go to the beach is? Safest? Yeah. Mm, when? <laughs> During Shark Week, because all the sharks are busy being on TV. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh. I love it. I love it, though. 
So as I was saying, people had a very deep connection to this lighthouse. They thought it would never go away. But all great things must come to an end, including Shark Week. (laughs) I love Shark Week. I'm pretty... Is this Shark Week right now? I thought it was in July. They've had like multiple Shark Weeks. I literally have no idea when it is. So basically we're safe all summer because the sharks are really busy with all the Shark Weeks. Exactly. (laughs) So the primary culprit of the demise of the Cape Henlopen Lighthouse was Mother Nature. Mm. During all those memorable decades, the ocean kept advancing towards the lighthouse little by little. By the early 1900s, everyone could see that the Cape Henlopen Lighthouse would soon drown if nothing was done. The beacon was operated by the federal government at this point, and in 1905, its workers packed several tons of brush and wood around the base of the lighthouse to try to keep it standing. A little sketchy, you know, band-aid over a gaping wound, but you know. The relentless sea kept right on advancing despite their efforts. On January 4th, 1914, the Washington Post reported that Cape Henlopen Lighthouse was, quote, completely surrounded by water, end quote, after a storm. Oh, The beacon survived this and many others that followed. In fact, the status of the lighthouse became a regular feature of even routine stories about bad weather because it was just so amazing that it kept standing even though, like, it it seemed impossible. As the 1920s dawned, various government agencies and Delaware civic groups were looking for ways to save Cape Henlopen Lighthouse. One proposal would have installed a giant arc of obsolete World War I ships to serve as a jetty around the beacon. An engineer floated the idea of erecting a protective steel casting along the east side of the tower. There was even talk of moving the lighthouse to the Dover Green or the University of Delaware campus. The state eventually formed a special lighthouse preservation commission. In July of 1924, however, a lighthouse keeper identified by the Wilmington Evening Journal as Captain Gray put a gloomy spin on all of this activity with the lighthouse. He stated that government engineers were puzzled in their efforts to save the old lighthouse. They built jetties only to see them smashed because they were man-made and no match for Mother Nature. Mm -hmm. So they gave up hope and declared that all they can do now is wait until the lighthouse sinks and becomes part of the ocean. Oh, I know. Sad. Officials had no choice but to prepare for the worst. The light atop the lighthouse went dark on October 1st, 1924. A new temporary light set atop metal scaffolding went into use the next day. There was expected to be a fierce storm that day, and they basically said goodbye to the lighthouse, but yet again the lighthouse kept standing after a raging storm. But unfortunately, time ran out for the Cape Henlopen Lighthouse less than a year later, on April 13th, 1926. Was it a Friday? I'm going to look it up. It was a Tuesday. Oh. But good question. (laughs) Thank you. Ironically, the end didn't come because of the bad storm, but instead it was a calm, gorgeous spring afternoon. It was sunny and 62 degrees outside. Apparently, some government officials had gathered to inspect the lighthouse and evaluate different new ideas for preserving it. The government officials were having lunch on a ship near the lighthouse when someone out on the ship's deck shouted, It's gone. Locals started gathering around the beach to see the fallen lighthouse and collect mementos that were left behind. But only a few days later, there was talk about gathering up the pieces of the beacon and putting the lighthouse back together. Oh. And the article that I was reading about this was called Humpty Dumpty Style of Cleaning It Up. Oh, no. Isn't that so dramatic? <laughs> yes. And that Humpty Dumpty Style <laughs> cracked me up. <laughs> I hate you. (laughs) But so many souvenir hungers, as they were called, 
had taken away so many rocks and parts of the lighthouse and so much of it was just dust at this point that there wasn't enough of the lighthouse to preserve. Yeah, people are just going to take it and never give it back. Exactly. It's like um, the Berlin Wall, like anything anything that was historic or valuable. The lighthouse is gone forever. Or is it? (laughs) There's apparently a corpse light that shines around where the Cape Henlopen lighthouse once stood. Ew. Yeah. The corpse light has wrecked havoc before, during and after the lighthouse existed. Local lore says that the, the phantom lighthouse with this mysterious light is the manifestation of an old Delaware Indian curse that speaks of a drum of stone signaling death Ooh. for all white men. Oh! The curse was invoked because British soldiers massacred a group of Native Americans who were in the middle of a marriage celebration. Oh! So they literally stormed in there, killed people in this Native American community who were trying to have a wedding, and those Native Americans cursed this area. I mean, I can't say I blame them. I can't either. Because, like, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> Since the curse was cast by Native Americans, many residents of the Cape Henlopen area often see lights flashing from the shoreline, and they assume it's from the corpse light. Another story took place on Christmas Day, 1665, when a ship known as the Devonshireman followed the beams of a non-existent lighthouse and crashed into a shaft of stone. More than 200 men died in that wreck. Dang, so that was even before the lighthouse would have been built originally. Yeah, exactly. Dang. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I guess there was hauntings before, too. Um, And then later that day, like after that wreck, the ghost of a Native American was standing alone on top of one of the rocks, and he was seen by multiple people. But it was like a ghost figure. Yeah. Then on May 25th, 1798, a boat was lured too close to shore and broke apart on the rocks. And then in 1980, the USS Poet, a 12,000-ton grain barge, vanished without a trace on the bay. How do you vanish on a bay? I know. It's so crazy. Another account of the corpse light occurred shortly after a couple were heard arguing very loudly, followed by a crash. Mm. Police were expecting that this was just a heated discussion, a lover's quarrel, Mm -hmm. that got out of hand. But what they found instead were several pieces of large bloodstained driftwood floating in the surf it was the remains of a small sailing boat as they got closer to the shore they found the bodies of a young male and young female floating in the surf but here's the crazy part there was a kitchen knife sticking out of each of the corpses Ew. so no one knows whether they became so involved with their fight that they didn't pay attention to their sailing or if they like stabbed each other with these kitchen knives oh my gosh but either way They hit the rocks in their boat, and they both passed away. Jeez. Yeah. As the two officers were called for backup to mop up the apparent murder-suicide scene, a ghostly female figure figure shook her head in contentment, and the brightness in the area of the light blinked twice. Mm. Creepy. So to this day, park rangers claim to see a bright light on the Cape, and you might be thinking that the light is coming from other lighthouses in the area, but there are no other lighthouses in the area nowadays, so that's impossible. Jeez. Yeah. That's a good one. I saw that when I was looking up stuff for Delaware, and I heard you were doing that, so I was like, I'm not going to read anything about this, but it sounds so cool. No, It's, I mean, I think the Native Americans probably did curse that area. Yeah, and like I said, can't blame them. I know. I agree. 
Well, thanks for listening, guys. I'm starting to hurt sitting in this little position. So. <laughs> Same. I can't feel my left leg. <laughs> I know. You know, when we're younger, you're like, I can do anything. And now that we're almost 30, I'm like, I cannot move if I'm in a position for too long. I know. Like, I slept weird the other day, I think, and my shoulder hurt. And I, it's been hurting for the past, like, two <laughs> days. I went to the gym today, and I was trying to do, like, shoulder exercises. And I, I like, couldn't do it. I was in too much pain. And I was like, this oh. is what happens when you get old. Yeah, I will, like, sit on the couch, and then when I get up, I'll, like, hear things crack. I'm like, that didn't used to happen. (laughs) Seriously. Um, Well, you guys can send us emails or suggestions or stories or anything to a scarystatepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much to those of you who have sent us in a listener story. Everyone else, send them in. Yeah, and thank you so much to people who have been... Um, commenting on our YouTube videos. Well, it was one person, but thank you. But it was such a nice comment. <laughs> it was so nice. And um, we love seeing the reviews. We love seeing your messages. So thank you so much for the support. It means so much to us. And then also make sure to follow our Instagram. It's a scary state podcast. And you can see um, pictures from our episodes of what we're talking about. So it's pretty cool. And we also have a Facebook page. It's called A Scary State Podcast. Um, It's just like a Facebook group. So go join it. We can talk about stuff in there. Nora's going to start posting um, the pictures that we put on Instagram in there as well. So that'll be really exciting. All right, guys. Well, I think that's everything. So make sure to stay scary. Stay safe.